Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Bogosa Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. Our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, we talk succession planning by taking a look at two organizations that are struggling with that issue, plus the next installment of our Generous Living series. But we begin today with a story about the controversial ministry Gospel for Asia. India's Income Tax Department last week raided the offices of Believers Eastern Church, which is the Indian branch of Gospel for Asia. The raids were an attempt to discover evidence of tax fraud, according to a statement issued by the Ministry of Finance. The tax authority said it had received credible information that the group had illegally used tax-exempt foreign donations intended for helping the poor and destitute for personal and real estate transactions. And Warren, I understand that these raids were a massive effort. Yeah, they were. The search and seizure action took place at 66 locations, uh, places of worship, schools, and colleges that are scattered throughout India. Now, Gospel for Asia and the Believer's Church in India is led by Bishop K.P. Yohannan, and the ministry does extend all across the country, and it included the church's headquarters in Taravala, which also has a medical college and a hospital in that Kerala state, which is down in the south part of India. Wow, that's intense. Did these raids find anything? Well, they did, though it's not clear yet exactly how incriminating uh, the evidence that they found is. Uh, there were, though, uh, unexplained cash caches, uh, hordes of cash that were uncovered. About 60 million rupees. Now, before you get too excited, uh, that's about $807,000 in U.S. dollars that was found during the search. That included about 500,000 in one location at their headquarters uh, in Delhi. The newspaper The Hindu uh, reported that nearly $77,000 was found in the trunk of a car near the church's headquarters. What happens next? Well, the Believer's Eastern Church computer records are now currently under investigation, the tax authorities said, and related documents have also been seized. And apparently, the credible evidence that I mentioned earlier came from Gospel for Asia Associates. So it's likely that they have turned state's evidence and have yet more information that they plan to share, more than has so far been released. Wow, none of this sounds very good for Gospel for Asia. Have uh, We haven't heard their side of the story yet. Have you heard anything from them? Well, Gospel for Asia here in the U.S. is also headed by K.P. Yohannan. Uh, he called the reports uh, of unethical behavior thinly sourced and unsubstantiated. Now, Gospel for Asia also tried to distance themselves from the Indian church, saying that it is a separate legal entity operating under U.S. law, the the entity here in the U.S., and has no offices in India. But that's a little disingenuous because, as I said, K.P. Yohannan is in charge of both uh, organizations. And I, I will say, Natasha, that I've, I've been to India a couple of times. One of those trips 
more than a dozen years ago, was with Gospel for Asia. And they do a lot of great work there. But even when I was there, I asked some tough questions about their finances, and I was never really able to get straight answers. And Gospel for Asia has been the subject of controversy for more than a decade. In 2015, for example, it was stripped of its membership in the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. And in 2019, Gospel for Asia settled a $37 million lawsuit over the misuse of funds. Earlier this year, a $100 million class action lawsuit was filed against Gospel for Asia's Canadian partner. Well, Warren, let's leave India and focus our attention a little bit closer to home. And I understand that this next story is really close to home for you. Yeah, it does. And not just for me, but for a lot of people who knew Bishop Harry Jackson, who died on Monday at age 67. The cause of his death has not yet been released, but Bishop Jackson had been battling emphysema for a number of years, and he had had a stroke during his treatment for emphysema. Uh, Bishop Jackson was the pastor of Hope Christian Church in Beltsville, Maryland. Uh, The church has about 3,000 members, and the size of the church, plus its proximity to Washington, D.C., and Bishop Jackson's own passions and gifts had turned him into a pretty significant force in the conservative movement. He was part of Donald Trump's Evangelical Advisory Council, for example, and he wrote a number of books on the role Christians should play in the public square. Now, I should say that, as you alluded, uh, Natasha, knew Bishop Jackson. You know, I could list all of these accomplishments and did list some of his accomplishments, but I will also tell you that he was just a a super nice guy. I mean, I never met him, uh, but what he failed to sort of stop and, and, you know, look me in the eye and really, you know, kind of pay attention and be fully present with you. And um, and that's one of the things that I really appreciated him, even as he became pretty famous uh, in the... uh, evangelical movement. And back in 2015, whenever he had this bout with emphysema, he came pretty close to dying. He ultimately went on the 700 Club to talk about his near-death experience. And he said this, which has always kind of stuck with me, if my assignment is not over here on earth, I am immortal until I have finished that assignment. And that quote always really struck me as coming from someone who really trusted in the sovereignty and the providence of God. But I guess apparently now his assignment here on earth is over. Um, He was uh, outspoken on his uh, opposition to abortion and same-sex marriage, but he wasn't always just touting the conservative line on things. In 2005, his black contract with America also advocated for prison reform and more government involvement in economic development. Or let's take a look at one more story before we go to break, and that's a follow-up on the story of Pastor Kirbyjan Caldwell. Yeah, Kirby John Caldwell was a well-known Houston pastor. I say was because a few months ago, um, Ministry Watch brought you news of how Kirby John Caldwell and an associate, a former uh, financial uh, investment advisor, convinced a lot of mostly elderly victims to invest about $3.5 million in worthless Chinese bonds. Well, this week, an update on that story. That associate, his name is Gregory Allen Smith, has been sentenced 
sentenced to six years in prison for conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Smith was also ordered to pay restitution in the amount of $3.5 million, as well as a fine of $100,000. His prison term will be followed by three years of supervised release. Now, Kirby John Caldwell himself, uh, the former senior pastor of Windsor Village United Methodist Church, has also pled guilty to some of those same charges. Back in March, he will not be sentenced, though, until December 3rd. He also faces five to seven years in prison, a fine of up to a quarter of a million dollars, and the same three years of supervised release after he has made at least partial retribution for his victims. Uh, The Shreveport Times reported that Caldwell used about $900,000 of those funds that he swindled for personal purposes, including to pay personal loans for his mortgage, credit cards, and other personal living expenses. Warren, we need to take a break, but when we return, a Dallas ad agency that works with large evangelical clients is in hot water over racially insensitive comments. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after the short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, Warren, let's continue with one of the stories I mentioned before the break, the story of a Dallas-based agency called The Richards Group. Yeah, it's uh, an interesting story, Natasha, though I will be the first to confess that it's not the sort of thing that we normally cover here at Ministry Watch. But bear with me for a minute, and I think that uh, I'll be able to connect some dots and and help everybody understand why it's worth noting. First, I should say that uh, the principal of the Richards Group, the story that we're talking about, is Stan Richards, and he's kind of a legendary ad guy. His Dallas-based agency, the Richards Group, is reported to be the largest in independent advertising agency in the country. It's handled advertising for some of the nation's biggest Christian ministries as well, including the Salvation Army and Volunteers of America. It's done some pretty amazing work over the years. A lot of our listeners may remember a Super Bowl ad that aired a few years ago that featured uh, the famous radio commentator Paul Harvey reading an essay that he had written called, And God Made a Farmer. And while Paul Harvey was reading that essay, there were visuals of patriotic and heartland images going across the screen. One of the things that made that ad interesting was that it was two minutes long. That's a rarity for a Super Bowl ad where ad time costs millions of dollars for even a 30-second spot. But the ad drew critical raves and has since had tens of millions of views on YouTube since then. So I guess they got their money's worth. And I understand that this ad, which uh, features themes of God and country, are pretty common for the Richards Group. 
Yeah, that's right. Over the years, the Richards Group uh, has, you know, because of that, uh, developed a reputation for kind of being patriotic and, you know, having sort of a religious veneer to them. And they've worked with a lot of Christian ministries. But two of those organizations, the Salvation Army and Volunteers for America, have both pulled their work uh, from the Richards Group, as have more than a dozen other high-profile for-profit accounts because the 88-year-old founder made racially insensitive comments during an online meeting to discuss one of its clients, Motel 6. There were about 40 people on this web call uh, when Richards uh, suggested that using quote-unquote black themes would be too black and would upset the whole hotel change, and this is a direct quote, white supremacist constituents. I can see how they would be upset. Yeah, Motel 6 leaders uh, were really outraged. They issued a a written statement that, that in fact, said that. Here's a quote. We are outraged by the statements made about Motel 6 and our customers by a member of the Richard Group during one of its internal meetings. The comments were not only completely inaccurate, they are also in direct opposition to our values and beliefs as an organization. How has the Richards Group reacted? Well, uh, Richards himself has expressed remorse for his comments, and in fact, he has stepped away from the firm, writing to his staff that he's fired himself. Uh, And this is, uh, again, a quote from the email that he sent around. If this were a publicly held company, I'd be fired for the comments I made. But we're not public, so I'm firing myself. Our employees, first and foremost, deserve that. I made a mistake the biggest mistake of my life, one I will never be able to adequately explain or take back. All I can say is that I was wrong. Um, An apology was also posted by the firm itself saying that we understand and regret the pain and concerns of all those who were deeply troubled by the words our founder spoke. He can't take them back. We can only ask for forgiveness and promise to learn and be better. We ask our many friends for understanding and prayers as we move forward. Do you think that these apologies will fix this problem? Well, it's hard to know. I mean, I got to admit, if you just heard me read them, they're pretty sincere apologies. I mean, they didn't try to hedge the question at all. They, you know, uh, Stan Richards took full responsibility, as did the firm. But um, so far, it hasn't stopped tremendous exodus out of the Richards Group from many pretty big-name clients. They include Home Depot, Keurig, Dr. Pepper, and another significant account, uh, which a lot of Christians, at least in Texas, know about, is HEB, which is a regional grocery store chain founded by Howard E. But H-E-B, that's why they call it that. And uh, HEB gives about 5% of its profits to charity. And the Butt family has been really active in Christian charity for many, many years. The H-E Butt Foundation owns Laity Lodge, for example, which is a place where a lot of Christian artists go and there are educational retreats in the Texas Hill Country. That is a fascinating story. And the next story we have is also about an organization that's in transition from an elderly founder into that next generation of leadership. But the problems there are of a different kind. 
Yeah, they are. Uh, Like Stan Richards, though, John Haggai is also sort of a legendary figure. He founded Haggai International in the 1960s following a trip to Asia. On that trip, Haggai realized that, according to a statement from the organization, changes in global geopolitics brought about by the end of colonialism required new strategies for evangelism. So what Haggai did then, he founded the organization in 1969, was to determine to mobilize national Christian leaders, both lay leaders and clergy, to effectively demonstrate and present the gospel to their own people. This approach overcame challenges facing cross-cultural missions, such as visa rejections, language, cultural obstacles, and really high costs. Now, this strategy might seem common today in 2020, but you got to, again, remember this was 1969. This was 50 years ago. And for decades, uh, that ministry was a real force to be reckoned with. Since its founding, Haggai International says it's equipped and motivated more than 123,000 Christian clergy and lay people working in almost all of the non-Western countries of the world. And about 10 years ago, the Haggai International, or what was some, what was then called the Haggai Institute, had a budget of about twenty million dollars a year. Okay, well, that was a decade ago. What's happened more recently? Well, yeah, things have been on a slow but steady slide ever since. First, I should mention that John Haggai himself is, I think, either 96 or 97 years old, and he still draws salary and benefits that exceed about $300,000 a year. That salary and also massive fundraising costs have contributed to big losses at Haggai International. For the fiscal year just ended, it posted a $3.3 million loss. It's the third straight year that uh, the organization has posted pretty big losses. In fact, over that three-year period, uh, Haggai International has lost more than $7.5 million. Warren, your investigation uncovered other problems there as well. Yeah, it did. For example, the current board has 21 members. Now, many of them have been on the board for decades and have personal ties to John Haggai himself. And I, and I want to be clear, there is no perfect board size, but most experts would agree that 21 is far too large to provide meaningful oversight to an organization. A board of 7 to 11 members is typical. The National Association of Corporate Directors in a survey of members found that 60% of of its members had uh, board sizes between 8 and 11. In a telephone interview with Ministry Watch, uh, Bev Upton, who is the, the new president of Haggai International, said that the ministry was indeed in a transitional time, especially as it relates to the size of his board. She admitted that they were looking into that. So it seems to me that uh, what this story and the story of Stan Richards and the Richards Group have in common is the, the change of transitioning a ministry away from its founder. You know, that's right. And I want to mention that in January, we're going to be doing a webinar on this topic that I think will be helpful both to ministry leaders who are facing this kind of a transition from one generation of leadership to another and to donors. We want to give them some questions that they can ask uh, whenever they are aware of a ministry that has an aging founding member. So stay tuned. Well, until then, we have one more story that I'd like to hit before break, and that's the story of the most recent election. Oh, Natasha, now please don't punish me with another election story. (laughs) You're right. For the past year, the news seems to be all election all of the time. Uh, But with the election still being argued about, this story has evangelical leaders and the 
um, their posture during this uh, strange time is really interesting. Yeah, I think it is, too. So so far, at least, President Donald Trump's evangelical advisors are backing his challenges to the results of the 2020 election. Ralph Reed, the head of the Faith and Freedom Coalition, echoed Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and other top Republicans in saying that Donald Trump has every right to pursue recounts uh, and rumors of voter fraud. And the Reverend Franklin Graham of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and Samaritan's Purse tweeted out on Monday that the courts will determine determine who wins the presidency. Graham did not claim there was an election fraud, uh, as Trump and some of his allies have done, but he urged patience as states count votes and lawsuits are debated in the courts. Tony Perkins, the head of the Family Research Council, tweeted, there are a number of steps under the Constitution, federal and state law, that still need to occur in the presidential election process. And I thought this comment was particularly interesting from the Reverend Tony Suarez, who is the vice president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference. He said that Trump has every right to involve the courts as necessary, noting that in the 2000 election, former Vice President Gore did not concede for more than 30 days. I thought that was interesting because uh, Hispanic vote actually leaned a little bit more heavily towards Donald Trump this election cycle than it has in years past, especially down in South Florida. But Suarez also added that he is realistic that Joe Biden may in fact be our next president and said that he hoped Biden would listen to evangelicals. Well, I think the weirdest reaction from an evangelical leader came from Kenneth Copeland. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, Controversial pastor and televangelist Kenneth Copeland mocked the major media outlets such as CNN, MSNBC, ABC, uh, Associated Press, and even Fox News for declaring that the former vice president was the victor, that Trump had been defeated. On a video that has since gone viral, Copeland asked this question out loud. The media said, what? And then he answered his own question. The media said Joe Biden is the president. Well, after that, he then exploded into kind of this crazy laughter that lasted for, you know, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 seconds as his congregation cheered him on. Um, As I said, the video went viral and it had subjected Copeland to widespread derision on social media. Copeland to his credit, I guess, ultimately apologized, saying that he did not, in fact, hate Joe Biden. Uh, he added, no, I love him. And uh, I apologize if it came didn't come across that way. Well, we're going to take another break. But when we return the next segment in our Generous Living series, I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com.
Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, Warren, I want to get to this week's Generous Living segment, but before we do that, let's spend a minute on Giving Tuesday, which is coming up the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. It's become a significant event for nonprofits, hasn't it? Yeah, it really has. Giving Tuesday began in 2012, uh, and last year it brought in $511 million. It is, of course, too early to say what will happen this year. We haven't had Giving Tuesday yet, but a digital research corporation called Whole Whale has predicted an 18% increase in 2020 over 2019. Uh, That will take the Giving Tuesday total over $600 million if that projection comes true. Now, they're basing that prediction on the fact that Giving Tuesday grew 28% last year 2019 over 2018, and 33% the year before. Uh, As Giving Tuesday has gotten bigger, the percentage growth has gone down a little bit year after year, but the dollars raised continues to climb. And another factor in the prediction is the fact that there's been more than an 80% increase in web searches related to Giving Tuesday uh, just in August and September of this year alone. So a lot more nonprofits are participating and a lot more people are comfortable with giving on Giving Tuesday. But this has been a very weird year. So do you think that at some point the Giving Tuesday fad will come to an end? Well, you're right that it's been a weird year. And I do think that it's been pretty phenomenal what has happened with Giving Tuesday. I don't know if it's a fad or or if it's going to settle down into kind of a tradition at some point. But there's no doubt that there's been some unusual kind of one-off events this year. We've already talked about the election, of course. Uh, Election year giving historically doesn't impact philanthropic giving. But this year, could be different, uh, as I think we all agree. It has been different in many other ways. Unemployment is still about 8%, and it's been as high as 10% pretty recently. Disaster giving for the West Coast fires and for hurricanes in the Southeast could also impact donor fatigue by the time we get to Giving Tuesday on December 1st. Well, Warren, as I promised before the break, you've got the next installment of our Generous Living series, and it's a story of a woman who made a fortune in the beauty products industry before she discovered the beauty of giving. Yeah, her name is Janice Worth, and I think her last name is fitting because discovering her worth, you might say, has been a key part of her life. She was orphaned at a young age and was raised by her extended family, but she left home when she was 16 and decided that money would determine her worth. As an orphan, Janice uh, learned not to take security for granted, so she made a goal that she was going to create a safety net of her own, and that safety net was going to be by getting rich. She made a name for herself as an entrepreneur in the beauty industry through uh, direct marketing, uh, You know, organizations like QVC, the, the, the Home Shopping Channel, that sort of thing. She and her business partners were at the forefront of the infomercial boom back in the 1980s and early 90s. Uh, they were the first to have an infomercial sell $100 million in product. And Janice admits today, though, that money was her God. She said, I love money. I've always loved money. I love making it. Money was where I was going to get myself worth. Money was where I saw my value. Money was my mission, she said. But 
She couldn't get enough of it. She was plagued even after she got rich with a constant fear of losing what she had gained. Uh, So she continued her search. She uh, ultimately sort of dove into New Age philosophies and the occult, including palm reading and tarot cards. But because she was open to spiritual matters, she had some friends who were Christians, and they invited her to Bible Study Fellowship, which a lot of our listeners may know uh, is an international fellowship that with um, local chapters throughout the country that read and study the Bible together. She initially attended just because she didn't you know, want to make a friend mad. She'd gotten invited. It was a social obligation. But from there, someone at BSF invited her to what at that time was a new church plant in the New York City area. That new church plan ended up being Redeemer Presbyterian Church. She listened to Tim Keller preach on the Gospel of John, and she said, that's when I met this guy, Jesus, and it radically changed my life. I love that. What a remarkable story. So what's happened next? Well, Natasha, as is often the case with these generous living stories, there's a whole lot more here that I can tell in the few minutes that we have. But I will say this uh, was just the beginning of Janice Worth's story. She ended up selling her business, retiring to Florida, but then coming out of retirement to get involved in a startup that was started up just as the financial crisis was hitting in 2008 and 2009. It almost bankrupt her. But she had made a promise to God and to herself that back when things were going well, that she was going to give away 50% of her income for the rest of her life. Keeping that promise when things started going badly is another remarkable chapter in her story. Wow. Well, I guess you probably want us to go on uh, the website and read the rest of our story for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do. But let's just say that Janice kept that promise, and she was able to turn that startup around. She now serves on the boards of Generous Living and Women Doing Well. And if you go read the story, you can also watch a video of Janice telling her story. It's pretty powerful, and I really do recommend it. Orrin, we've got to bring this time together to a close, but do you have any final thoughts? Well, just another reminder that our weekly conversations are just summaries of the content that we post uh, every day on the Ministry Watch podcast. In fact, um, what we do here is indeed just touch on the highlights. If you want to dig deep into any of the stories that we've discussed today, you can go to ministrywatch.com. Also, a heads up that on this week's Ministry Watch Extra podcast episode, I talk with Paul Gladder, the editor-in-chief of Religion Unplugged, one of our editorial partners. In that conversation, we have more to say about the election as well as the discussion of the conflict in our media, what Christian ministries are doing there, and why Christians should be paying attention to what's happening there. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Ann Stike, Bob Smetana, Adele Banks, Warren Smith, and Christina Darnell. And thanks to our friends at the Nonprofit Times for contributing material to this week's program. I'm Natasha Smith in Pagosa Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you. <laughs>